0: We're gonna read from Luke chapter 22. Um, if you're new to the Bible, that's okay. So there are a few Bibles um, in, in the pew. If you have the white Bible, it's uh, the white study Bible. Uh, it's in page 932. And if you have the black NIV cover Bible, it's in page 1103. Um, it'll also be uh, on the screen. Luke chapter 22, verses beginning from 39. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me.
1: We're in church. Many of you know Charlotte and I have the privilege of getting to take care of our grandmother. She stays with us uh, most of the time. And earlier this week, we had a chance to drop her off at a respite care facility where she could stay there for a week and so we could get a break and, and rest up in the meantime. Now, we took her there on Monday morning and Charlotte asked me for my help to bring her there. We we should have really thought ahead and planned out like how that was all going to work. We hadn't. And I ended up planning to do some things during that time. And so I was frustrated about that. And then I had a thought. Okay, I'll bring my laptop. I'll get those things done in the passenger seat as we drive in the car. Problem solved. I figured it out. We get in the car and I go to get on my computer and I find out the new cell phone plan we had just switched to doesn't have any Wi-Fi hotspot. At, At that moment, I was in a test, a minor test. I would have liked to say I loved my wife well. I would have liked to say I controlled myself. I found myself pouting and being angry the whole way there, silently pouting while I was there, And continuing the pout on the way home as we were driving back my wife said this to me this is a real verbatim quote she said this she said honey it would have been better if you did not come when I heard those words I knew that I failed I think you'd all agree with me I failed that morning Ross Tennyson failed I had a temptation, I had a struggle, I had a trial that I was going through, and I gave in and did what my flesh wanted to do rather than what the Lord wanted to do. And every one of you, as we gather here this morning, are going through tests and trials and temptations. Some of them as small as that. Some of us this morning feel like we're in the biggest temptation and trial of our lives. You've never been in as much heat and pressure as you are right now. In fact, the whole course of your life might change based off of the decisions you make in the next few days and weeks. The question I want us to ask this morning is what is God's plan for us in the tests and trials that we go through, and how does he help us in the midst of those trials and temptations? We live in a world that's filled with them. Our lives are filled with them. We can scarcely go a week without feeling the pressure, the brokenness, and the limitation of life. And so the question I want to ask this morning is, what is God up to in the midst of all the hardships that we face on a constant, ongoing basis? And to do that, we're going to look at the Lord Jesus. And we're going to look at him going through the midst of his trial and his temptation, the biggest one of his life. In fact, the biggest one any human being has ever went through. Any temptation, any trial any of us has gone through is far less than the one Jesus is going through in the passage that we're going to read this morning. So let's take a look at what our Lord Jesus does when the pressure is on. When more than ever there's weight on his shoulders, then more than ever a human being would be prone to break and to give in. Let's take a look at where Jesus is just before he gets betrayed, just before he gets betrayed, put on trial just before he gets hung on a cross, we read this in verse 39 of Luke chapter 22. It says, and he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. We read right away in this verse that Jesus had a habit. Jesus had a habit of going up on the Mount of Olives. And what we're going to see in this passage and what we have seen elsewhere in the Gospel of Luke is that when Jesus goes up on a mountain or a high place, he's going up to pray. He's going up to seek the Father. The first thing we see in this passage is that Jesus has a habit of spending time with the Father. It's not an accident that this is mentioned in the same passage that he and his disciples are reaching their lowest point. This is the bottom We are getting into the darkest part of this story. We've seen ups and downs through the Gospel of Luke, and we are descending into the depths right now of the sadness and the darkness that's in the story of Jesus' life. Just at the supper earlier that night, he had foretold that one of his closest followers was going to betray him. Then, in his speech afterwards, he warned the disciples that they should be prepared for the whole world to turn against them. Up until that point, they had had a lot of favor as they ministered in Israel, a lot of acceptance, a lot of public support. The mob is about to show up and come after them, and Jesus tells them to get ready for that. And Jesus had been telling them up until this point that he was going to die, and this is about to happen. Everything he had said, everything the disciples couldn't bear to hear was about to happen. Jesus is about to die on a cross. Their Savior that was supposed to rescue them from sin, rescue their country, was about to be nailed to a cross. In the story, in the the sermon Scott preached last week, Jesus mentioned what the disciples did at this moment. If you remember, they started reaching out and grasping for their swords. At their moment of trial and temptation, they reach out for a weapon to defend themselves. And Jesus rebukes them. He says, That's not what I want you to do right now. And right in this story, we see Jesus have the opposite response. When his disciples reach out for their swords, Jesus reaches out for his father. When we go through our hardest moments, What we reach out for shows what we're truly trusting in. If you want to wonder who you really are, if you want to wonder what is it your heart really trusts in, watch where you go when things get difficult. That reveals what's really in our hearts, what really our faith and our hope is in. And there's a beautiful... Part of the story that Jesus, at his hardest moment, steals away to the Mount of Olives to spend time with his Father. And my hope for myself and for everyone listening here this morning is that in our hardest moments, we would go to the Father as well. Not to the booze bottle. Not to Netflix, not to an unhealthy relationship, not to all the other things that we tend to go to in our hard moments, but in our hard moments, we would go to the Father. And I want to ask, how was Jesus able to do this? How was he able to respond like this in his hardest moment? Because that's the question we want to ask if we want to do the same thing. He was able to respond like this because it says in verse 39, it was his custom to do this. The only way any of us will ever spend time with God at our hardest moments is if we're already in a habit of spending time with him regularly. You don't suddenly become holy when the hardship comes upon you. It's those who spend time with God regularly who spend time with him when things get hard. This is just an invitation from Jesus this morning to follow his example and to daily spend time with the Father so that when we have our moments of testing, we go right to him and we do what Jesus did and we spend our times of communion with God when life is miserable, when life is hard, and we wonder if we're going to fall. Verse 40 describes more of what Jesus did. And we can learn some more about prayer from verse 40. And went and when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. So Luke says he arrives at the place. The place. He doesn't tell us what place, he just says the place. We know from the other Gospels that this place is the Garden of Gethsemane. But apparently Luke doesn't feel like he has to mention that. Apparently, his original audience would have been so familiar with the prayer life of Jesus that they would have heard the place and known, oh yeah, he's talking about that that place that Jesus always used to go to to pray. I think it's a good reminder to us that having a regular place to seek the Father helps us seek the Father. Right? We're, We're creatures of habits. We build habits. We form routines. And having a plan, having a regular place where we seek the Father helps us seek the Father. Whether that's a bedroom or a walking route or a particular chair, a particular time of day, Jesus models for us that having regular space, regular time, regular routine of seeking the Father helps us seek the Father. If you're already in that habit, already in that groove, when the trial and test comes, you'll find yourself doing what you're used to doing. I also love this prayer that he tells them to pray. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. I think a lot of our prayer lives are hindered by insecurity about our prayers. My prayers aren't theological enough. I don't think God likes my prayers. I don't think my prayers are educated enough or sophisticated enough or emotional enough or whatever you name it. I'm not good enough at praying and that hinders our prayer life with God and it hinders our prayer life with our brothers and sisters. And if you notice the prayer Jesus commands his disciples to pray, it's a simple prayer. We have a father who loves simple prayer. You don't need to impress him with your prayers. You just need to pray honestly and simply what's on your heart. Don't be intimidated. Don't be intimidated. If you want to follow Jesus and how to have an amazing prayer life, have a place you go and pray a simple prayer. That's all you got to do, and you will meet with the Father. Isn't that good news? It's really good news. You don't have to be extra special. You don't have to be... Extra gifted. You just have to be a needy person who wants to spend time with the Father. That's what Jesus is inviting us into this morning. So let's take a look at the prayer that Jesus taught them to pray. He said, pray that you may not enter into temptation. What's temptation? Temptation comes from the same Greek word as test. Test and temptation are similar ideas. And a temptation is when some kind of hardship or pressure comes upon you that allures you away from God to find refuge or comfort in something else besides God. A temptation was when pressure comes upon you that allures you to find comfort in something besides God. So this happens to Jesus. He doesn't go away from God, but he feels temptation earlier on in Luke chapter 4. You remember Satan shows up to him in the wilderness. He hadn't eaten in 40 days. He's alone. Jesus is vulnerable. Jesus is weak. Jesus is looking for a refuge and for help at this point. He, he is a human being, experienced human weakness, and he's as hungry as any of us would be after 40 days of eating no food. Satan shows up to him and tempts him first with food. He says, command these rocks to become bread. What he's saying to Jesus is, Jesus, take refuge in food. Jesus, you don't need your father. Take refuge in food. And then when that doesn't work, Satan says to him, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world. He says, Jesus, find refuge in ruling over these kingdoms. Don't find refuge in your father. Find refuge in ruling over these kingdoms. You see, what temptation is, is the pressures of life and of our flesh alluring us to find refuge in something other than God. And we all have this. All of us are every day clinging on to things and feeling tempted to find comfort in something besides communion with our God. And at the end of this story, in Luke chapter 4, Satan says, that he is going to return at an opportune time. He's going to return at an opportune time. And between Luke 4 and between this moment, Satan largely is defeated in the story. He's largely overcome by the ministry of the disciples and by the Lord. And then he comes back right now at their lowest and strikes. Satan knows when to strike. He knows when to strike at Jesus. He knows when to strike at the disciples. And he knows when to strike at you and me. Isn't it true that we most often fall when we're most depressed, most sick, most weak, most in pain, most hurting? It's not on our best days when we fall, is it? It's not on our worst days when we fall. Satan knows when to strike us. Satan waited. He bided his time until he came after Jesus and the disciples. That's why Jesus is saying to his disciples at this moment, Pray. Pray that you not enter into temptation. We get to follow Jesus now as he does battle with his own temptation, as he goes up on the mountain, as he faces the influence of Satan. We know that he prays. And now we get to look in and see what he prays. We get to watch now and watch and listen to what our Lord Jesus prays when he goes to pray against temptation, when he goes to pray against the influence of Satan. So let's take a look and see what our, how our Lord Jesus prays at his lowest moment, at his moment of temptation, at his moment of pressure. It says in verse 41 that he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed. prayed. So Jesus is with his disciples, and he goes away from his disciples, and he kneels down and prays. What an example of church that every single one of us needs time alone with the Father. Jesus needed time alone with the Father. If Jesus needs time alone with the Father, how could any of us think that we don't need time alone with the Father? Let none of us think that we're stronger than Jesus. I love these gatherings. I love every time I get together and get to pray with other brothers and sisters. And Jesus does too. He spends so much time praying with his disciples, yet he shows us that a good prayer life, you need to have time with God. If Jesus needs time alone with God for him to stand, we need time alone with God if we're going to stand. So church, I just want to encourage you. Do you have time you spend with the Father on a daily basis? Do you make this a priority? Do you believe that unless you spend time with God, you will fall? Right? Do you believe that? If I don't, if you don't, what we believe is that we're strong enough on our own without the Father's help. Right? So, so we... we Acknowledge we need to spend time with God, but when we don't and we go day after day after day without doing that, what we're showing we really believe is that we don't need the Father to stand. And Jesus shows us that that's what he needs and that's what we need more than anything in the world. We need the Father if we're going to stand against our temptations. Now let's see what Jesus says when he prays. He says, Father, if you are willing Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So Jesus requests that the cup be removed from him. What's the cup? The cup is an Old Testament image, it symbolizes God's wrath against sin. Wrath is righteous judgment. So God has a righteous judgment and punishment against sin and rebellion of which all of us are guilty. The reason Jesus came to earth was so he could absorb that wrath and judgment in mine and your place so that we wouldn't have to. That's why he came for. So when he asked God to remove the cup from him, What he's talking about is the greatest amount of suffering any human being ever has or will experience. He was nailed to a cross. He was stripped naked and beaten. He was mocked by the people who should have crowned him king. But worse than all of that, worse than all of that, For the only time in his life, he felt the displeasure of the Father on him as he took my place in your place. He never knew what that felt like until he hung on the cross, until he felt the judgment of God. And as he's anticipating that, and thinking ahead to that, and dreading the misery of that, Jesus understandably prays, Father, if you're willing... Take this cup from me. Church, Jesus shows us that it is never wrong to ask God to take away your suffering. It's never wrong to ask God to take away your suffering or someone else. You never have to feel guilty about asking God to take away your suffering. Jesus didn't feel guilty about asking God to take away his suffering. You might think that, oh, this is just God's will for me. I have to bear it. I shouldn't talk to him about it. That's not true. He wants you to come to him and ask him to take it away from you. He is a God who loves to hear our prayers, loves to hear us ask him to take pain away from us, and you are welcome to come to the Father with your pain and your hurts. Yet what Jesus shows us is that we must never make Our suffering going away A condition for trusting our Father We must never make Our suffering going away A condition for trusting our Father What Jesus is about to say Right in this prayer Are some of the most beautiful words Ever spoken by a human being to God These are some of the most beautiful words Anyone has ever spoken I just want you to listen carefully to these As I read them again Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This is maybe the greatest miracle Jesus ever performed. He fully, fully surrendered his will to the Father's. Can any of us ever say we've ever done that? Fully surrendered our will to the Father's? fully trusted the Father enough to submit to his will entirely? This is one of the most beautiful moments of Jesus' life, where he says to his Father, I trust you so much, God, that even if you do not take the worst suffering away from me, I love you, and I will follow you, and I'm going to do what you want me to do. You, you can think of a little image, like, the image of if you had a child and this child trusts you, and this child needs a medical procedure for their good, there's a good reason for them to go into the doctor and it's going to hurt them and they don't want to go. They don't want to go. But you tell them, you have to go. And instead of fighting you, instead of Raging instead of freaking out, instead of turning against you, that little child looks at you with trust and goes and experiences the pain that you you don't want them to experience, but it's good. And they trust you in the meantime? That's the beauty of Jesus' surrender here. The perfect trust of a child for their parent that they know their parent is good and they know their parent is going to take care of them. If you compare Jesus to each one of us, if you compare Jesus to our first ancestor, Adam, we see that this is the complete opposite of the beginning of the story. Adam was in the garden, our first parent, our first ancestor. God gave him a command. Adam didn't trust the Father. He said, God, my will, not yours, be done. And he ate the fruit. And sin and suffering and death has been the reality for every one of us ever since. And since we are born, we're like him. We say, God, my will, not your will, be done. And here we see the first human being ever who reverses that statement. The first human being ever who passes every test. Jesus, in the garden of Gethsemane, before his father fully surrendering to him, and fully submitting to him. This is a reminder to us that the first step of following Jesus is never cleaning ourselves up, passing the test, and getting God's approval. That's never the first step of following Jesus. The first step of following Jesus is trusting that he succeeded in your place so that even though you have failed, you're fully forgiven and accepted by the Father. Man, what we have here is the example of someone who succeeded in our place so that even when we fall short, we can be fully accepted right now, whoever you are, whatever you've done, wherever you've come from. Because he said these words, anyone can be accepted by the Father. Anyone. Even the vilest sinner can be accepted by the Father. And my invitation to anyone listening this morning is that if you have never surrendered fully to God and trusted him to rescue you from your sins and your disobedience, that you would come to him this morning. Please do not leave here this morning without coming to Jesus and letting him succeed in your place. Take the burden off your shoulders. Let him carry it for you. Please talk to me. Talk to any of us pastors. We would love to see you come to trust in this Jesus who fully surrendered himself to the Father and paid the price that you and I never could. Verse 43 goes on. In this moment, Jesus is spending in Gethsemane with God. It says, and there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. What this verse shows is that when you continue to trust God, even when he doesn't take the suffering away, is that he'll always bring you through the suffering. Jesus trusted God. God decided not to take the cup away. He decided not to take the suffering away. But what he did do was send an angel to strengthen Jesus. God may not answer all your prayers the way you want him to, but he will give you everything you need to keep following him in any situation. As a follower of Jesus, you will never find yourself without what you need to follow Jesus. He will send even angels to help you, if necessary. What God requires from you, he always provides. Always provides. He provided it for Jesus at this moment, and he provides it for us as well. Everything you need, he loves to give it to you if you'll surrender to him also and trust him. And then verse 44 says, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. If you have this view of Jesus as a superhuman who doesn't feel stress, never felt anxiety, never felt pain, never felt sorrow, this verse would encourage all of us to leave that view behind us. Jesus was a real human being, as real as you or I, and he felt real stress, real anguish, real misery. He was in anguish as he was praying, and he was praying in such anguish, thinking of what was coming, that he started sweating profusely. So profusely that it looked like drops of blood were falling off of his skin. Jesus was a full human being like you or I. He knows what we're going through, He knows the tests we're going through, and He shows us the right response when you're in agony. Where should you go, church, when God answers no? Where should you go when the Father says no to a prayer request you earnestly asked of him? Jesus Jesus shows us the place you should go is right to the Father. God wants you to come to him with your agony. God wants you to come to him with your misery. God wants him to 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 come to him in your low moments. Whether God answers yes or no to a prayer it's always an invitation to come closer to the Father. Whether he answers yes or no to a prayer, it's always an invitation for you to come closer to the Father. Whenever he says no to something you pray, it's never a rejection towards you. It's an invitation for you to come to him with your emotions, your sadness, and your sorrow, and express yourself to him. He can take it. He can take it. Never fall into the lie and the temptation that God doesn't want your emotions, that God doesn't want to hear when you're disappointed, that God doesn't want to hear when you're sad. He does. Jesus spent the whole evening expressing his broken heart to his God. And God wants to hear from you when your heart's broken. God doesn't want you to keep those things to yourself. He invites you to come and express yourself to him freely if you read the psalms it's full of people expressing real and raw emotions to god he loves to hear from you sometimes when god says no maybe the reason is so that you would seek him and get more of him than you've ever had before you ever thought about that you ask a prayer god says no Maybe the reason is so that you'd seek him and get more of him than you ever had before. Sometimes God can give us more through an answer of no than yes. If we respond to him and pursue his heart like Jesus did, Jesus shows us how we should respond to God when the answer is no. The answer is to go further and further into the Father. Jesus next turns to look for his companions. You'd understand right in this moment before your death, before the misery that Jesus is about to go through, why he might look for his companions, why he might look for help and comfort. Let's see what he finds. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. So the disciples are fast asleep. Jesus finds his disciples relatively indifferent and disengaged from his suffering. Their sleepiness in this moment, their sleepiness in the garden, is a picture of their vulnerability and their susceptibility to sin. Kind of sounds like us, doesn't it? Like, if you were to read this story and think, man, who is the person who I align with the closest? Who is the person I'm the most like? The answer would be the disciples. Their sleepiness is a picture of our vulnerability and our weakness towards sin. Jesus had just warned them a few passages earlier. A few weeks ago, Sam preached this message, stay awake at all times. What Jesus meant by that is not that you can never sleep but that you should always be vigilant in the spiritual world. You should always be vigilant about your own heart. You should always be vigilant about your own sin. And these disciples were being anything but vigilant. They were sleeping for sorrow. The heaviness of the situation sapped all of their strength. I bet some of you know what this feels like. I know what this feels like. When you're depressed... When you're sad, when you're sorrowful, your strength levels diminish and they're at their lowest. right? Jesus knows what this feels like when you're weak and you have the least amount of energy to seek God. These can be the moments that it's hardest not to give in to temptation. The word Jesus would have for us For those of you who are struggling with depression, those of you who are struggling with lingering sorrow and weakness, is don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. Jesus never says it's wrong to be depressed. Jesus never says it's wrong to be sorrowful. When he comes to the disciples and finds them sleeping, what he's going to say to them is keep praying. Keep praying. If you don't have the words to speak... If you feel like you're too tired to come up with words to express to your God, use the words Jesus uses in this passage. Use the words from the Lord's Prayer. The Lord loves simple prayer. If you don't have enough energy to come up with a prayer to pray to God, just read the scriptures to him. Just don't stop praying. When it's hardest to pray is often when we need to pray the most. I'm going to repeat that. When it's hardest to pray is often when we need to pray the most. So when you find yourself discouraged, when you find yourself depressed, when you find yourself disbelieving in the power of prayer and you think, man, why should I even pray right now? That's the moment where you need to pray the most. That's the moment where you're being led into temptation and prayer is the way out of temptation. Jesus prayed when it was hardest to pray and he invites us to pray when it's hardest to pray. And then in verse 46... And Jesus says, says, And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So Jesus ends with the exact same statement he began with. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. So what we should do right now is start to examine our own hearts and think of in what ways we're being led into temptation. Do you find yourself spiritually sleepy this morning? Do you find yourself struggling with a particular trial, pain, hardship, or set of circumstances that's making it difficult to trust God? Do you find yourself entering into temptation? That is, taking hold of other substitutes for trusting God, like consuming entertainment excessively or alcohol excessively or lust or throwing yourself into a distraction like work or a relationship? Do you find yourself, intentionally or not, avoiding time, being with the Father? When the pressure of life is on, our flesh, our our tendency is to flee to something, right? You flee to something when you feel pressure, when you feel danger, when you feel hardship. You either flee to God or you flee to some other refuge and and the tendency of our flesh is to go somewhere else. Satan knows that and he's pushing you in that way. So you can see why Jesus would say, pray that you not enter into temptation, can't you? But as I read this passage, I was so encouraged. Even though all these things are the case, I was so encouraged. I'm encouraged that while Satan has a plan to destroy our faith, Jesus has a greater plan to keep every last one of us. He has a plan to keep every last one of us from temptation. When Jesus was facing temptation in the garden, when he overcame it, when he didn't give into it he wasn't just succeeding in our place and then not worrying about us having to deal with it on our own what jesus is doing in this passage is showing us how we too can succeed how we too can overcome the temptations that we're facing like jesus wants this wants us to be a church that regularly overcomes the temptations that we face and because he really did it and he really helps us, we can become a place where Satan is not influencing us away from Jesus like the world, and we can really overcome our temptations. Like, would you like to be the version of yourself where your worst sins and worst proclivities are put to death and you're becoming more like Jesus than ever? We can become that because of what Jesus did here in the story. He showed us the way. He didn't leave you helpless. He didn't leave me helpless. He didn't leave us helpless. He showed us the way that we can overcome our worst temptations. If you go back to verse 42, he begins with the word Father. He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The word Father enables him to pray those words, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus has a high view of the goodness of God. He has a high view of the goodness of God. When our view of the goodness of God is high, we can follow God and trust his will in our worst situations. The way out of temptation that Jesus shows us, that he leads us on, is that if we maintain, like he did, a view of God's goodness, we can endure and we can say no to the temptations and the trials that we face. When we join Jesus in crying, Father, from our hearts as seeing him as better and wiser than ourselves, we can say, not my will, but yours be done. There's no better example of this than Jesus hanging on the cross. That would have been the darkest Moment any human being has ever faced, Jesus hanging on the cross. And while he's hanging on the cross, he keeps calling God Father. Have you ever noticed that? As his Father put his wrath upon him, and Jesus is dying for you and me, Jesus doesn't stop calling God Father. Later in the gospel of, this Gospel of Luke, two times, Jesus calls God Father from the cross. And right now, Jesus couldn't be in a better place. He's risen from the dead. There's worshipers from all over the world who are praising his name. He's coming back soon to inherit the world and be the king of all of it. He's able to receive all that good from his father because he kept seeing him as father when things were hard. And that's what he's showing us. That's what he's encouraging us to do this morning. So how will we become a church that experiences more of God's presence than ever, loves one another, loves our neighbor, sees the gospel spreading into the neighborhoods around us, Right, we keep living like Jesus did, saying, Not my will, but yours be done. Please pray with me. Jesus, you are so good, so much better than we ever imagined you being. Prayed the most beautiful prayer I've ever heard. And I ask that we would be able to pray the same thing, every one of us, God. Please help us to be able to pray, not my will, but yours be done. Thank you that you succeeded where we failed. And thank you that you invite us into the same success that you enjoyed. Pray these things in your name, Christ. Amen.